Welcome to a brand new episode of Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today's episode is brought to you by BestFightPicks.com. Go to BestFightPicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks and podcast delivered to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me on this very special edition of Half the Battle is the man that set the record for the fastest back-to-back wins in UFC history. I'm talking about 14-1 UFC featherweight contender, Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. Chaz, welcome to Half the Battle, man. Thanks, man. It's, uh, it's good to be on. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. So, you know, it's funny. The way we started talking was because of our good friend, Fly and Brian. I told him I wanted to get Chaz the Scrapper Skelly on Half the Battle before you hit that top 15. And here we are, so I appreciate your time, Chaz. All right, thanks a lot, man. Well, you know, I'm just outside of it, and after the next fight, I'll, I'll definitely be in the top 15, so it's good timing. <laughs> for sure, for sure, indeed, man. So, you know, you're an All-American wrestler for Oklahoma City, that's correct? Uh, actually, uh, Missouri Baptist University is where, I, where I'm All-American. I wrestle for Oklahoma University, Oklahoma City, and Missouri Baptist, so I transferred around. Okay. You know, Kind of, kind of a gypsy, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I need to hit up those guys at Wiki and tell them to get your page right, man. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. So, Chaz, when did you realize you wanted to fight in the UFC? I mean, I, I've heard the stories about you talking to Johnny Bedford and this and that, but when did you know you wanted to fight in the UFC? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think... Uh, you know, after college, I came back and I started uh, training a little bit, working out, I think as soon as I started, as soon as I decided to be to, to go pro and fight professionally, that's when I said, you know, I want to I want to be in the UFC because like, anything I do, I'm always trying to be the best. You know, I don't I'm just do stuff for fun. You know, I didn't I didn't originally start fighting uh, for that reason. I actually just started training to help out Johnny and stuff. And then you know, one of the guys at his gym was in an amateur fight, and they had another guy from another gym that they were sandbagging. Saying he, he didn't have that many skills when he when he did he was pretty good he's supposed to be like a purple belt in jiu-jitsu and and uh, had been a golden belt boxer or something so Johnny was just like hey man why don't you this guy I have in this fight he's he's no good you know they they're supposed to be they're supposed to have him fighting a guy that's really not any good and uh, this guy sandbagging real big why don't you why don't you go in here and, and whoop this guy's ass and I was like all right you know it was hundred it was like hundred eighty five pounds or something <laughs> I was like all right you know I'll do it. And after that, you know, after that first fight, I was pretty, I was kind of hooked. I, I really liked it. I enjoyed training. I liked, I liked fighting. There was a lot of stuff to learn. And, you know, once you, once you decide to do something like that, it's either a full commitment or it's not. So, I, you know, fighting the UFC was a no-brainer. It was just, uh, it was just getting there, you know, through all the local shows. You just gotta, just gotta put in the time. So. For sure, man. So you made your MMA debut at 185 pounds? Well, it was an amateur fight. You know, it was, you know, I, I don't know. I was I was fat anyways. You know, I came back from college wrestling. I was uh, partying, you know, drinking every day and, and eating whatever I wanted anyways. So I was, I was fat as fuck anyway. So, you know, I was probably, I was probably up there too. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, now that you're disciplined and a professional that gets paid to fight inside the UFC's octagon, is that cut to 145 pounds? Is that easy? Is it tough? What's it like making the featherweight limit? Yeah, it's never easy. I mean, I don't know. No matter how you spend it, it's never going to be easy. I, uh, it's just a lot of discipline, you know, at this point. It's, it's uh, especially now that they have the IV ban coming in effect in October. And, you know, I'm fighting in November. That'll be the first time I've fought under the IV band, which my first seven or eight pro fights, I, I never had an IV anyway. So I'm, I'm used to it. I can do it. Uh, the rehydration process, I've got it down to a science. Basically, what you got to do is you, gotta, you have to look at it more as like a, a science nowadays. Like you have to diet correctly. Um, you have to make the dehydration process as little as possible and as effective as possible. Um, you need to be dehydrating like I used to cut weight, dehydrate for a couple of weeks, you know, and, and really kill myself running and, and doing these things while I'm dehydrating. Now I get all the preparation in. The last week is all just a weight cut week. It's all dehydration. But I get I, I try and uh, diet down to like 158, so it's not as much. But in my past camps, I've had a couple, you know, you know, it's fighting and you get hurt. You know, there are things that happen that, that are beyond your control, so... I've had a couple couple of fights with the weight cutters went really really bad, but uh, this one won't be one of them. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm ahead of schedule by far. This one. 
Yeah, you know, obviously you're focused on the task at hand, but as you get older, I mean, do you rule out a potential move up to 155 pounds? Um, you know, I never really rule out anything. <laughs> I just like keep my options open. You know, I, I fucking hate that way, just like anybody else. But it's an it's an essential part of the game when you're fighting bigger guys. You know, everybody cuts, so it's just part of it. Um, I don't rule it out, and I'm not opposed to even fighting at 155 now. You know, I'm not opposed to fighting somebody at 155. But I I think 145 is where I'm trying to trying to make something happen for myself. Where I'm trying to make runs where I feel the most comfortable and. And, uh, but no, yeah, I'll play 155. I don't care. I got to ask you, Chaz, what was it like learning the striking game? Because, you know, a lot of wrestlers, they they struggle with it, but you actually won your last fight via knockout. So how did you transition from just wrestling to that all-around mixed martial arts game? Uh, just just a lot of time. I think uh, a lot of preparation. You know, for me, I've always hit hard, and uh, that's something, you know, I feel like some people are, kind of blessed with that ability to naturally hit hard and some people aren't you got to really work at it and put the put the effort in but once i uh i naturally hit hard but then once i learned the technique behind it i hit even harder so i feel comfortable striking you know i like it and i i've i've come to learn that i've got a pretty pretty good jaw too so that helps you know <laughs> i'm not scared you know i'm not scared to get in there and get hit so that helps a lot because uh a lot of it's mental you know i think i think a lot of these wrestlers could be better strikers if mentally they just uh, put their nose in there and did it. You know, you, you see a lot of wrestlers who are transitioning into really good strikers now, and it's all about putting the time and the mental preparation into doing it. You just gotta, you gotta get in there. You know, you gotta work hard just like anything else. You gotta drill it, and then you gotta spar so, so you know what it feels like to get hit. Yeah, man. And when did you first realize that you had that kind of knockout power? Um. You know, I don't know. I think probably it probably wasn't until about six, seven fights into my career. You know, I never, uh, I was never afraid to get hit. I, you know, I just always knew that my best bet of beating people was would be to take them down. I mean, that was where I was best and where they were weakest, I felt like, was in the ground game. And uh, so I would take them down and, and, you know, work a little ground and pound and look for my submissions. But when I really started going over and boxing it. There's a gym called Reyes Boxing over here. I started working with uh, Tony Cabello, my boxing coach, and then Vincent Reyes is another boxing coach over there who's, who's really, really skilled coach. And um, just when I started working with those guys and getting the, the actual technique down to the, to the punching and the, and the sitting on my punches and putting power behind them and not reaching so much, and I started going with boxers, and I was, you know, started doing really well with professional boxers. Then I, then I felt comfortable enough to get in there and, and really start throwing some heat you know before then I was just throwing punches to get in takedowns you know so I was really never sitting on punches and throwing a lot of heat because I was except for I would sparring but I wouldn't in a fight because I I was just looking for my takedown so that's when that's when I really realized I could I could I could throw something and knock somebody out you know when I got over there with those boxers and started really having it because the boxing ring we have a 32 foot cage at our gym the boxing ring that we're, I boxed in over there with them has got to be like fucking 15 feet. You know, I mean, you're really, you're engaging. You know, it's like the size of my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're like, you're in there, you're in a box and you have to throw or else, you know, you're just going to get beat up. So that's when I learned and I, I love it. I love going over there and boxing. For sure, man. And anyone that's watched, you know, your fights can see the progression you've made in your striking, you know, as uh, from the first one to the last one. Now, I I want to go back a little bit, Chaz. You know, your first two pro fights, you went in the first round, and then you get the call to fight at Bellator 9. What was it like getting called up to fight at Bellator with only two pro fights? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. That that was, uh, it was cool. I was uh, really nervous, you know. The tra- this is another thing, the mental game and uh, MMA is, is crazy because I, uh, at that time, you know, fighting wasn't really that important to me. I was still working two jobs, and I was, uh, you know, I was just out of college. I was working two jobs. I was, I was, I was training. I mean, I was getting up in the morning, going to the gym, working, and going to the gym at night. You know, putting in some time, but I was still partying a ton, and uh, just that's what I wanted to do. You know, I just wanted to drink and have a good time. I didn't care too much about fighting. And to be honest with you, 
when I got that call, it was like a, a week and a half out from the fight or maybe a week out from the fight or something. And they asked me, they said, hey, you want to fight on Bellator at 155? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, uh, who's it against? They said some jiu-jitsu guy uh, with, with decent striking. And I said, all right, fine. You know, I'll just take this down. I'll just wrestle fucking the whole time anyways, trying to beat him up on the ground. And uh, so I get there. And well, they, they paid me really well was the, another thing. They said, all right, well, this is what they're going to do. I think they gave me like like a, like 1500 to show and then like 2500 to win or something like that. And that's a th- third pro fight. That's unheard of. You know, I was like, fuck yeah, I'll take that fight. You know, I don't care, I don't care what happens. Uh, so I got there. Man, I was nervous. You, know, I, you have no idea. I was so nervous because, I, you know, until then I had only fought on two really small local shows and then I fought on that and I was it was nerve wracking but it was a good growing experience I, after that is when I, I kind of started shit, getting my shit together a little bit and uh, taking it a little more seriously for sure man and you know you fought at Bellator 9 Bellator 19 and then 96 why did they take so long to give you fights um let's see Bellator oh yeah yeah okay so the first one was just kind of like what it was, what it was. The guy had an opponent that backed out, and he needed a fight. Um, Bellator 19, I think I was at that time. I fought like seven times in my first year, or maybe six times, and then my seventh time, like a year and a month in or something. So I stayed, I stayed active my first year. I was just trying to make money. That's, I mean, I was like, fuck, I'm getting, you know, a couple thousand dollars to fight each time. I had a lot of sponsors, and my sponsors were paying a couple thousand dollars. And you know, I was like. Oh. I was, this is good money for me. You know, I'm working two jobs and I'm doing this on the side. I'm making, I'm killing it right now. Um, the second time I was like six and zero, oh, and I was fighting Daniel Pineda for the second time, and I think that they thought that that would be a really good matchup. But then I was hurt for two years after that. I didn't take two years off, so I was seven and zero. Oh. Uh, Daniel caught me in a toehold in that fight and broke my foot in a couple places and tore the tendon from the front to the back. And the rehab process was just like, I got better rehabbed, and then I, I got injured again, and then I rehabbed, I got injured again. So it took forever to get, get my foot healed. And so that's basically why I didn't fight again on Bellator until the Jared Carr fight, you know, what, three years later or something. Yeah, so, you know, you fought the very tough and gritty submission specialist in Daniel Pineda, and the first time you finished him in the first round, and then you finished him again in the second round the next time you fought him, and was this the point when you realized that you were UFC caliber? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, when I, when I started this, um, once I started taking it more seriously, I, I felt like the whole time I was fighting, I felt like I was UFC caliber. I never... There wasn't a time that I didn't feel like that if I put effort into it, I was going to make it. You know, I felt like I had the wrestling, I had the athletic ability, and, uh, you know, I was picking up the striking pretty quick. I, I felt like I was UFC caliber. Um, that really just put a stamp on it for me. Because, I mean, I, I, did, I did feel like uh, Pineda was, is a good caliber opponent. Pineda is a tough guy. You know, I train, I've trained with him since, and I, we're friends and stuff now, and, and uh He's tough, man. So, you know, getting those two finishes over a guy like him, I, you know, those are still two of the fights that I look back on and I, you know, I'm most proud of in my career so far. So, yeah, I mean, it did put a stamp on it for him, put, put a little exclamation point on it, I guess. Yeah, Daniel's a very tough guy, and he will be back in the UFC very soon. So, you know, you make it to the UFC undefeated at 11-0, and 0, and you make your UFC debut against the fellow undefeated prospect and Mirsad Bektik, and this is a guy that a lot of people consider to be a, fu- a future UFC champion. Were you surprised with uh, with Bektik's toughness? No. I mean, I wasn't surprised that he was tough. I knew he was going to be a tough guy. Uh, I was surprised that they called me for an illegal knee when he put his hand down and picked it up and put it back down, because uh, th- here's something funny, and th- you're the first person, you'll be the first person I think I've told this to, that, uh, since uh, when we were backstage um, pre-fight, the ref came back. And I'm not making sure. I mean, he won. He he won the fight. You know, I would like to have that fight back. I would like to fight him again, without a doubt. I mean, that's somebody who 
I never in a million years dreamed he would take me down. I didn't work my wrestling the entire camp. I just said, I watched his previous fights, and I said, there's no way this guy, you know, gets me to the ground. So I'm going to outbox him. Um, and I, that's my game plan was to come in, outbox him, and knock him out. That's all, you know, that's all I had game plan-wise. And, and it was, uh, you know, I should have changed it up in the middle and, uh, and taken him down. And, and and try to win the ground the fight on the ground because I feel like I have a much better ground game than he does. Yeah, I feel like I'm better all around. I just he beat me. You know, he had a good game plan and he when he got in on my legs, he picked me up and he was strong. He was strong. That's that's one thing about him. So, anyways, pre-fight, the refs come back and they do the you know pre-fight unified rules meetings. Well, in the UFC, they kind of do it. The individual refs, the ref that's going to ref your fight, does it. Um. And he comes back, and it's me and Mark Lehman, my co- Mark Lehman and I, in the back. And uh, he says, any questions? You guys know, know the rules. You know, you got any questions? I said, no. And Mark says, no. And he says, Mark, this is the first time you've never had a question. Are you sure you don't have a question? Mark goes, yeah, I got a question. We like the knee against the cage. If a guy puts his hand down and picks it up, you know, which plays the game right there? What's your, I'll take, what's your take on that? And this is the rest exact words. He said, if the guy puts his hand down, picks it up, and is trying to play that game, throw the knee. If it's questionable, it's my discretion, and and I won't call it. That was his exact words. And then I go out. I heard him. I throw a knee. He picks his hand up. I see him pick his hand up, so I throw another knee, and the motherfucker calls me for a, for a you know, penalty point. And the fight was over right there. I mean, he was done, oh, yeah. you know. Um, but... Having said that, coming back, looking back on, I wish I would have came out hard right, right when it started again. I just, I thought he was fully recovered, and I didn't want to go out there and you know get caught with something. But he's good. Uh, Beckett's good. He's a great fighter, uh, and I hope to one day when we both, you know, we're both top top five guys. I hope we fight again. I hope we're fighting for a title someday. For sure, I definitely see you and Beckett having, you know, some sort of rivalry where you guys might even have a trilogy down the line. Now, you know, I wanted to talk about that knee, you know, for a lot of reasons. You know, you go in there, you hurt him with the big right hand, and then you throw the knee, and, you know, he was doing what's known as playing the game, like you explained, where, you know, he's a, you know, he's a down opponent, and then he's not a down opponent, and, you know, to me, that, that shit's some bullshit, because, you know, you fair and square knocked him out in my opinion but i do have a lot of respect for the toughness that mirsad showed because he could have been like hey i yeah, want yeah. I, I want to win by dq i don't want to continue anymore but instead he showed that championship heart and he went out there and fought you in the third round so i do respect that but i disagree with the ref because i thought that you finished the fight so you know it's kind of interesting and it was one of those fights where you don't see UFC debuts too often, where both guys are undefeated, both guys, you know, are potential future champions, and then that happened in the middle of the fight. But it was it was really cool to see, you know, um, to see both of you guys finish out that fight, and I would like to see the rivalry end at some point. Yeah, and, and I want to be clear too. I'm gonna make excuses. The guy beat me fair and square. He uh, uh, he did finish the fight, which is very respectable. And I don't believe that he was intentionally playing the game. I think that he was hurt and trying to keep his balance. And he picked, he had his hand down, he picked it up, and he put it back down. I don't think that he was intentionally trying to get, you know, get a point or anything like that. I, I think that it was just something that happened during the fight. I, I blame the ref more than I would blame him. I don't blame, I blame myself for not finishing the fight in a different way. But um, I do believe I don't. I like I don't believe that he was trying to do anything like that. And him finishing the fight does say a lot about him uh, as a fighter. And his corner, I don't think. I mean, I don't think his corner probably wanted him to finish it. I mean, I know. I don't think that my corner would have let me finish it. This is what I'm saying. If if I got rocked that hard and it was something that was, I don't think my corner probably would let me finish it. I think. The smart move for them to do would have been to not finish there, knowing that he probably was concussed a little bit, knowing that he was out of it in days. I and I wouldn't have blamed him if he didn't, to be honest, because it was a it was a penalty. They took a penalty. He was pretty much knocked out, in my opinion. I wouldn't have been upset if if his corner told him not to finish. I would have been mad at the ref. I wouldn't have been mad at him. I mean, there's nothing you can you can't blame a fighter for not wanting to take more damage after they've already hurt you know you don't want to 
you, you don't want to hurt your brain in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just your opinion, Chaz. I thought he was out too, but, you know, there's a couple cool things we can draw from that fight. You know, for example, on your end, just the fact that, you know, you are a wrestler with that knockout power, your striking is really good, and you can end anyone's night. And on his end, the fact that, you know, he didn't want to quit, he didn't want that DQ, he was willing to go back in there and fight, you know, for the third yeah. round. So I got so much respect for both of you guys. Now, moving on. You know, you set a UFC record for the fastest back-to-back -back wins. You know, you take out Ninimaki, and then you take out Soriano. So, you know, what was that whole experience like, Chaz? Uh, yeah, I almost fucking died uh, with the weight cut. <laughs> the second weight cut almost killed me. Uh, it was cool, man. You know, I, I this I went in, and I fought Ninimaki, and the fight went pretty much the way... I had imagined it to go. Uh, I thought that I was going to finish him fairly quick. Uh, when I watched his fights, no disrespect to him, I didn't feel like he was on my level. Um, and I knew if I got him to the ground, I knew I could finish him. Um, and I felt like I could finish him striking, too. Actually, the first the first punch I threw, I saw his eyes pop wide open. I felt like maybe I had stunned him a little bit, but I wasn't going to rush it. You know, there's nothing... You know, hurting somebody's a lot different than... Hurting somebody a little bit is a lot different than hitting them to where they can't, you know, do something back. You don't want to rush into it and get caught. Um, I finished him quick, and I asked for another fight right away. I mean, that's that was the plan, you know, get in there, win the fight, uh, and then get paid and, and then fight another fight, you know, as soon as possible. I was thinking maybe a month, <laughs> and then they called me. I guess somebody backed out from Sean Soriano. Uh, Sean Soriano. And I had went out that night, and I was I woke up the next morning to a phone call, and and they said, hey, uh, you want to take you want to take a fight in 13 days, or at that point it was 10 days in 10 days, and I said, uh, yeah, who? They said Sean Soriano, and I said, well, sure, you know what's his what's his record? Or I didn't know what I said. I just said, sure, I'll take it. I think, and uh, then I looked him up, and I was like, oh yeah, this is a great matchup for me. You know, I watched his fight against the Japanese fighter. Um, the the crusher is it Kawajiri? Is yeah. that who? Yeah, Kawajiri. Kawajiri. And I saw how that fight went, and I said, "Well, there's a there's a blueprint of how to beat the guy. Just take him down, and you know, you beat him." But when I went into that in the back in the dressing room, I mean, I was so drained from the second weight cut that I actually. Uh, did I cut my warm up short because I was getting exhausted during the warm up, and I knew it was going to be a long night at that point. I knew, I knew that this fight was going to be all either I was going to submit him right away, or it was going to be a long, hard grind because my arms were. I felt that my arms and legs just felt like noodles before I even stepped in there, and so I was glad to get the. I was I was really happy to get that win any way I could. Yeah, man. So you know, just backtracking a little bit in the Ninamaki fight. You basically go out there, touch gloves, and choke him out. And, you know, you're always the sportsman. You actually let go of the choke before the ref even went in there and stopped you. And not a lot of guys would do something that classy. But I got to know, man, are you not worried that, you know, there's a chance your opponent will try to pull that Brazilian tap on you? I've, uh, I've thought about that, you know, and Mark kind of got on Mark Lamy kind of got on me about that. For me, man, it's just, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody, you know, uh... That was kind of a neck crank, and I was afraid, you know, I didn't, you know, I knew he he was tapping, and I was cranking his neck pretty good, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I didn't want to give him some sort of neck injury that he was going to have to deal with, and if y'all wanted him to be able to get back out there and fight again, you know, afterwards, and, um, yeah, you know, I've worried about that, but to me, I feel like, if somebody's going to do that, if I'm going to tap in a fight, ref sees it or not, I'm going to tell them that I tapped. You know, I'm going to let it be known that, you know, I lost the fight. You know, that's just the way it is. If somebody's not going to do that, if they're going to – oh, my dog barking. If they're going to be a piece of shit enough to tap in a fight and then, uh, and then continue to fight and act like they didn't tap, you know, I'll just – that's just going to prolong their ass beating. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to put it on them harder. So I'm not too worried about it. I think – I think that anybody, I, I think that any true sportsman, you know, you tap, you're gonna, you're gonna say you tap, you lost. 
For sure, we're always the gentleman, Chaz the Scrapper Skelly, and you know, we're gonna get into your next fight in just a bit, you know, I wanna backtrack a little bit, but if you get Kevin Souza in a rear naked choke, and he taps and the ref doesn't touch you, do not let go, Chaz, wait until the ref tells you to stop. Kevin Souza's a little more dangerous than Tom Niamaki, so I think I might have to choke <laughs> him out. I don't, I, don't think, uh, I don't think I'll be giving him a chance to get back on speed. Yeah, that's good to hear, man. And, you know, just uh, back on the topic of you breaking that record for fastest back-to-back -back wins, you know, did Joe Silva and the UFC appreciate the favor you did for them? Yeah, I think they did. You know, I, they, uh, you know they had said, they, they had uh, verbalized that they, they appreciated it. They, you know, they told me and they told my manager. So, yeah, I think, I think that they really appreciated it. And, uh, and I, I, saw, I saw Sean Shelby afterwards, and he said thanks, you know, thanks for taking that fight. And, and uh, you know, to be a, I guess, a company man kind of shows a lot about somebody – I mean, I wouldn't say like a like Uncle Tom, like a company man is what I am. I would just say that if I'm ready to fight, I'm going to fight. I don't think I'm not really going to say no to very many fights, um, if any, if I'm ready. You know, I, I'm not going to go in there and put myself in a bad situation. But, you know, if I feel if I feel like I'm ready and they need a, a fight on a short notice, I'm always game because I, you know, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing this for. I, I wasn't really doing it to help them really so much. I was doing it to help me. I mean, I needed, you know, getting two pay, two paychecks in one camp, and that's fucking awesome. You know, you don't have to go through hard work twice, and you get paid twice in two weeks. I mean, nothing better than that, so. Definitely, man. And, you know, you are one tough individual to come back less than two weeks later and take on the very tough and talented Sean Soriano, and people don't understand that, you know, you train for weeks to, pre to prepare your body to peak at a certain time, and, you know, you just returned two weeks later like it was nothing, man. You showed a lot of grit, a lot of heart to win that fight. Did you just know you were tougher than him, or what? Like, because you had to gut that one out. Yeah, I felt like, uh, I never had a doubt in my mind I was going to win that fight. I never, I never had a doubt, um... Which you know I generally don't. I think if you I think if you're going out there doubting yourself, you're in the wrong sport. But um, yeah, when I, after I watched the video, you know I just said, yeah, there's not. I don't I don't see any way this kid could beat me unless you know possibly catches me on the way in, you know, with something. I watched the like I said I watched the Calgary fight and uh, that was a blueprint right there of how to beat him. I mean there was nothing. He kind of you know, Kawajiri didn't throw a lot of strikes. He just looked straight for takedowns. But, you know, uh, during our fight, I got so exhausted, I started doing that too. So. <laughs> for sure, man. You know, next up you took on a very hyped prospect in Jim Ehlers. And everyone always likes to say that you can break a wrestler by putting them on your back. But when you fought Jim and he got the takedown about two minutes into the first round, you were immediately attacking off your back, looking for subs, knee bars. Is that something the UFC featherweight division should start getting used to, just the fact that if they take down Chas Scaly, they are not safe there? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the one thing, looking back on the Mirsad Becky fight that I, that I regret more than anything in the, in the whole entire fight was at the end of the first round when he took me down and he got ground and pounded. That was actually like the first time I've ever been on my back in a fight, like legitimately been on my back in a fight. And I kind of, I just held on to him. I was trying to hold on to him. And I thought there was only 10 seconds left in the round. And I just wanted to, you know, gut it out and, and get a fresh start in the second round. I regret that because I'm, I'm very dangerous off my back. Just as, you know, I like, I like be I like being on the ground, man. I'm a, like, I don't consider myself a wrestler anymore. You know, when it comes to the grappling game, I'm a grappler out I have great submissions. Um, I'm good off my back. I'm good. I'm good on top. I'm. I'm just dangerous on the ground. I'm always looking for a finish, always. So that's something that when you when you sign a fight, you have to know that no matter where the fight goes, if it's on the feet, if I'm on top, especially, and if I'm on my back, I'm gonna be looking for finishes. I'm not. I'm not fucking around on the ground. I'm not just gonna hold position and. And do this and do that. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna switch from one submission to the next, and I'm gonna throw ground and pound, and I'm gonna keep looking for finishes the whole fight. Well, that's what we like to hear because you know 
there's certain guys in your weight class that they won't do anything off their back, but then there's other guys like, you know, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. If you take that guy down, you know, you uh, you better watch your P's and Q's. So, you know, that finishing combo you hit Ehlers with, that was great. He tried very hard to keep a poker face when you initially rocked him. Uh, just talk about what it's like when you rock your opponent and that killer instinct takes over and you go for the finish. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a great feeling when you see his eyes go all fucking, like, cross-eyed, googly-eyed, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a cool feeling. Uh, I actually rocked him a few times in that fight. I... Um, he was hurt a few times and I saw it in his face. Um, and I saw him, I, st I stumbled him a couple times in the first and then I got him once pretty good in the second before that end finishing combination. Um, so I knew, I knew that I was hurting him. And once again, I, I wanted to stay patient. I wanted to, you know, just work, work my game and, and continue to fight and, and really show kind of what I could do boxing wise. And I wasn't really uh, throwing in, in the type of combinations that I that I normally do and that I like to throw. So I wasn't really satisfied with that with that victory, uh, the way it went. You know, I wasn't satisfied with my striking. I felt like there was a lot of things I could have done better. I could have thrown a lot more cursed combinations. And uh, and I think I think as my career moves on, people will see the evolution of my striking game. But getting back to the question, it's a it's a great feeling, man, to really rock somebody striking uh it's kind of a it's kind of a high you know it's like when you say what do they say when people smoke crack or something like chasing that dragon it's a it's a feeling that the first time you do it you're just always chasing that feeling again like you're always chasing that feeling so yeah, throughout my career i'll continue to chase that feeling and i, I feel like i'll i'll feel it a lot more and Chaz, just talk about real quick, you know, the difference the difference between, you know, when you feel that killer instinct inside the octagon versus, you know, in the training room where you guys aren't trying to knock each other out, I think. Uh, you know, if you guys are, <laughs> let me know. Just just talk about the difference real quick. Uh, you know, man, we, we train hard sometimes. Like, when we spar, we spar real hard. And, uh, like, I was talking about that boxing gym I go to at, at, over at Reyes. Those, those guys are killers you know they if they get you hurt they're gonna try and finish you i think over there especially it doesn't hurt it doesn't help that i'm white you know <laughs> reverse racism over there all the mexican boxers over there trying to kick my ass <laughs> yeah man but uh no they i you know it's a great it's it's unexplainable really because like you said that i was just joking but the train everybody's your training partner that you're sparring with in the gym and you don't want to hurt anybody that you're sparring with. Those are the guys you got to work with every day. And, and they're really there to help you and you're there to help them. So you don't want to hurt anybody too bad. And uh, the feeling of really getting to unload on somebody and not have to worry about hurting them is uh, it's a great feeling. It's, you know, you really get to get out there and get all your, get all your frustration out. If you got any, if you got any inner demons, you might as well just leave them in there. Cause that's the place, that's the only place you're going to get to do it without getting arrested. So you might as well do it. Yes, sir. And next up, you're taking on a Brazilian in Brazil. Are you excited about fighting in enemy, enemy territory, Chaz? Oh, yeah, man. I like it. You know, I, I feel like the strongest part of my game is my mental game. Um, going out there and having people boo me if they do it, this and that's not going to affect me at all. It's probably going to motivate me a little more. Um, I go out there and I have fun. You know, I like doing this. I like fighting. So it's, it's all fun to me. And... Brazil's a beautiful country. Uh, I look forward to just going and seeing Brazil and just being there. And, and uh, you know, I like how the Brazilians are so passionate about the sport. So, to me, them booing and, and going into enemy territory, just, to me, it just shows how passionate they are about the sport. And I, I really don't, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not nervous about that at all. I'm not, I actually look forward to it. So, it should be fun. That's good, man, because, Chaz, they're not going to just be booing you. They're going to be screaming, Eu va moer, which means you're going to die. And I'm sure you've been told this a million times. So how are you getting mentally prepared for what's about to happen? I'm just going to scream back at him, Boha! Boha! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I ever hear Brazilians say in the corner. Yeah, boa! yeah, boa, boa. That that actually means good. So that would be hilarious, man. And, uh, you, know, you know, so... At, 
I don't know, man. I can't understand the fucking word they're saying anyway, so I don't know. Whatever they're screaming at me is not going to make a difference. <laughs> Good. That's, I don't know. I don't speak Portuguese. That, that's the right mentality when you're taking on a guy like Kevin Souza. So, you know, as a fan of the sport, which is what I am, Kevin Souza is a scary dude. And a lot of people like to refer to him as, you know, maybe the next Anderson Silva because of the way he strikes. And on paper... It's striker versus grappler. So, Chaz, let's say he stuffs your takedowns. Are you ready to stand with Kevin Souza? Well, of course I'm ready. I wouldn't step in there if I wasn't. And the fact of the matter is if I want to take him down, I'm going to take him down. He's not going to stuff my takedowns. It's not, that's not an option. At some point in the fight, if I want to go to the ground, it's going to the ground. I mean, he has to throw punches. He has to overextend himself. In my past fights in the UFC, I haven't really cared too much if it went to the ground or not. It's not... I haven't fought guys that were dangerous, dangerous strikers. Sean Soriano, that fight, I was just exhausted. You know, I was exhausted before the fight even started. So I, I really wanted to put it to where I could re- a place where I could rest, and that would, that was on the ground. You know, that's where I had the, the best opportunity to, to to shake my arms out, shake my legs out, and get keep my lungs going. Um, in this fight, you know, whatever happens happens. If you know, if he does happen to stuff a couple takedowns and run our feet. You know, I've been, I've been training for this a long time. I'm not just a wrestler. I'm not just a grappler. I'm a, I'm a mixed martial arts fighter, and, and I'm ready. You know, regardless of what he thinks, regardless of what people think, you can look you can look at what people say online. They say this and they say that. you got to put all that stuff to the side. And I know I know what I'm capable of, and I watch this. You know, I watch this guy's fights. Um, I break him down. I see, I see what he does. I see he has a lot of tendencies that he does over and over, and he really telegraphs a lot of things. So uh, I'm, a, I'm an intelligent fighter. I don't, I don't go out there um, just looking to bang. You know, that's not, that's not how I do it. You know, I, I go and I break people down, and I look at their tendencies, and I, I, I figure them out. It's a, it's a chess match to me. So uh, there are some things I think that I can capitalize on in his striking game, and I'm going to. Yeah, and you know, speaking of tendencies, I don't want to give away too much, but I'm pretty damn sure you've watched that Felipe Aranches fight a bunch, and you've taken out a lot from that fight, because in his next two fights, you know, he just went out and knocked his opponents out rather quickly, but in the Felipe Aranches fight, we definitely saw a lot, you know, that can be exploited, and you know, both of you guys have evolved a bunch since that fight, so I know you're expecting the best Kevin Souza we've seen yet. Now, is it a point for you to go out there and knock him out to submit him, or will you just take whatever's available? Uh, man, I you know to be honest, uh, I'm, I just I'm gonna win however I, I can win. I want to make an exciting fight. I want to make the fight that people want to see. I know that this is something. Um, he's an exciting fighter. He's he's one of those guys that you know uh, he's got great hands. He's got a lot of power and. People like to see knockouts. People like to see finishes. So, you know, I think I think we're going to give that to them. I think that we're going to give the people what they want to see one way or the other. For sure, man. And what I want to see, you know, obviously you talk about the fans want to, wanting to see knockouts. I want to see Kevin Souza get tested. And that's exactly where Chaz the Scrapper Skelly comes in. So I'm very much looking forward to your fight with Kevin Souza in Brazil. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to it as well. And, he will get tested. I think he'll get more than tested. I think he'll get exploited. And uh, I'm going to show I'm going to show everybody his weaknesses because I know what they are. Awesome, man. And you know, we look forward to it very much. Now, before we wrap things up, you know, I just want to talk about a couple things real quick. So, you know, I got to know, man, is Johnny as mean on the mats as they say he is or what? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean mean? I mean, like did that dude, that he's a competitor in every sense of the word. That's the word on the street. I mean, what's it like just wrestling with Johnny on the mat? Oh, you know, it's fun. You know, it's, uh, in our mat room, I mean, everybody's, I'm a competitor as well. So, you know, when you get in there and you get two guys that don't want to lose, two guys that want to compete, it's always going to be fun. You know, it turns out to be a, a good time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he is, he's, uh, He's a competitor, man. He doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to get taken down ever in the mat room. He doesn't want to get, you know, submitted or outstruck by anybody. Um, neither does anybody else in our rooms. So, yeah, I mean, he is. You know, he's a competitor through and through. I mean, there's no doubt about that. If you, you know, if one thing you can say about Johnny is that he is a competitor. He is a gamer, and uh, he's always there to compete, and, and he's always there to beat you. I mean, so 
if you're, if you're competing against him, he's trying to win. So, you know. Definitely. And what's the biggest thing you've learned from having a former UFC champion in your gym? Um, I think, uh, I think the biggest thing I've learned from Johnny and, you know, I feel like I had this partially already, but I think one of the biggest things I've learned from Johnny is that, and Coach Monday as well, when he came in, no matter what happens in a workout, um, you got to take something positive out of that. You know, I feel like that one thing that Johnny does well more than other people is that he has a very short memory. And, you know, say if he comes in and has a bad day, he forgets about it instantly. You know, I mean, he learns something from it, but he forgets about it instantly. And he comes back harder the next workout. And he comes back stronger the next workout. Uh, and I think that that's something huge that I had to learn mentality-wise because I was letting things hang with me for a little too long. You know, uh, coming home and thinking about them and, and dwelling over them and losing sleep over just a, a workout. You know, it's just a fucking workout. Alan Iverson, we talking about practice? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's nothing. It's just practice. It's a workout. You know, you're in there with your friends. So uh, that's the, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned from him. And uh, what's it like training with brains like Mark Lehman and Kenny Monday on a regular basis? Because, you know, from what I've seen from Mark Lehman, this is a guy that goes really in-depth. He really breaks down the footage, and he really knows what he's looking at. So what's it like working with a whiz like that on a regular basis? You know, for me, I like it a lot. Uh, things like uh, being smart in the, the – there's there's, to me, I can't, I can't stress enough how the mental aspect – of the game is so important and uh just being mentally prepared as well as physically prepared is a huge thing and you know you look at someone like mark who is great at breaking down film and and uh breaking people down and showing their weaknesses and that's that's one thing that you know i was going to fight hacker diaz and and we had him broke down so well that we felt very 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 confident in that fight and now i've got this guy kevin souza and uh and, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's, uh, he's a good fighter. He's a talented guy. He's, uh, he's got a lot of power in his hands, and he's a dangerous striker. But everybody has weaknesses, and, and you got to go out there and you got to exploit them. So working with somebody like Mark is, is a huge advantage for me because, because he's somebody who can look at somebody, and he will, he will break their fight down frame by frame by frame by frame, and he'll spend hours looking at it. And, and looking at their movements and what they do and what their tendencies are, and then and that that just helps me. And then somebody like Kenny Monday is um, somebody who's worked at the top at the highest level for so long that his mental game is so strong that just talking to him, he's like a he's like a little Buddha, you know. You know, just talking to him, he keeps you uh, keeps you motivated and uh, keeps you keeps you on the right track. And like I was saying before, taking something positive out of every workout—that's something that he really stressed to me. That, he said I was I was not I wasn't doing you know he said you gotta you gotta come in you gotta work hard you gotta take something positive out of the workouts even if you suck you know you gotta think about the one thing that you did that was good and then you gotta come back the next workout and you gotta you gotta improve upon it and so you know this is, I have a huge advantage having such such a coaches for sure definitely man and yeah that's awesome to hear about I'm definitely gonna have to talk to you a little bit off air about how he does, you know, how he breaks down all that footage and all that kind of stuff. Now, real quick, you are a featherweight contender, and there's two big featherweight fights happening, you know, at the end of the year, and I got to get Chaz the Scrapper Skelly's predictions on those, and I'm talking about Frankie the Answer Edgar versus Chad Mendes and Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor. Now, real quick, who do you have in both of those fights, Chaz? Man, you know, I've got Jose Aldo. In the Aldo McGregor fight, I think he's gonna wax that little pussy ass. And uh, you know, the Edgar Mendez fight—that's a—that's one I don't even want to call because both those guys are so talented, man. They're—I—I uh, I gotta believe that Frankie Edgar is gonna gonna outpoint him. Uh, I got to believe that Frankie Edgar's going to have a little better footwork. He's going to have the wrestling to negate, if not even take down Chad Mendez. And then um, 
So I, I'm going to say Frankie Edgar decision. I'm going to say Jose Aldo uh, TKO. Yeah, and I agree with you about Frankie Edgar. You know, I think he's one of the he's consistently underrated. People always overlook him, and the guy always brings it. He's always beating these guys that are bigger than him, that supposedly have an edge here and there, and you know, he just truly has the heart of a champion. So I have so much respect for Frankie Edgar. Now, as far as uh, Aldo and McGregor is concerned, you had some choice words for the interim champ. How do you think a matchup between you and the current interim champ would go down? Oh, I think it would go down just the same way that it was going down between him and Chad Mendez, except for I'd be training for a full camp and not gas out, you know, in in the second round. So I think I would, uh, I think I'd, I think I'd beat him pretty easily. Really? Wow. So, I mean, are you impressed by his striking or his movement? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. No, he's a great fighter. He's a great fighter. He's not a, he's not a pussy. He's not a, he's not a bad fighter. You know, I was just saying that, but he's a, He's got great striking. He's got a great mentality, and he's good for the sport because because of his mouth. But uh, as far as his wrestling and grappling, man, it's just it's not there yet. And I think uh, I think that there's a reason that he fought Chad Mendes, who wasn't training for that interim fight, who was filming a hunting show and hadn't stepped in the gym in however long. He didn't fight Frankie Edgar, who was training. You know, I think there's a there's a reason that that happened. That's because he knows that his wrestling's not to that level yet. And he knows that his ground game's not to that level yet. And if somebody comes, kind of a wrestler, a good grappler, a good wrestler comes in and with a full camp and a, a full gas tank and doesn't get caught with a shot right away, he's in trouble. Yeah, well, eventually he's going to have to, you know, I mean, he's already stepped up to the plate in my opinion, but eventually he's going to have to face everyone in that division, you know, whether it's Frankie Edgar, whether it's yourself. So, yeah. You know, I do think that, you know, this is the UFC and, you know, even though they try to act like guys are protected, you eventually, if you keep winning, you're going to have to fight all the toughest guys. So, yeah, that's my take on that. Now, real quick, I need to, I need to know your opinion on Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold. Uh, no, that's tough. I, I got to go, uh, hmm, I think, uh, I think Luke Rockhold's a little more handsome, but I think Chris Weidman's going to take it in the fight. Yeah, I like you know, the, Luke, Luke Rockhold maybe hanging out with Taylor Swift, but I think uh, Wyman might take the fight. I don't know, man. I, you know, that's another tough one. I like both of those guys a lot. Uh, those are two tough fights that you gave me there. Frankie Edgar and Chad Mendez, I love both of those guys. I really enjoy watching them fight. Rockhold and Wyman, I really enjoy watching those guys fight, too. Um You know, I'm gonna. I gotta go with. I gotta go with Wyman. I think he's gonna be able to get the takedown and, and and do things on top. But I've always said that Luke Rockhold is probably one of the most underrated fighters in the UFC. His his ground game is sick. Uh, his striking game is is very good. Um, he's a great fighter. He's a great competitor. He he deserves. A, I mean, he deserves to be where he's at. So, but I'll, I would go with Weidman, uh decision. Yeah, I got the champ as well. You know, I think that people aren't giving him the respect he deserves. Now, I need one more prediction from you, Chaz. And that's between the former Olympian, Yoel Romero. And he's taking on the guy that's considered to be the best submission specialist in the UFC in Jacare Souza. So, you know, you're a grappler. Who do you got in this battle of two explosive grapplers? Man, yeah, another one. Like, I've been watching Jacare... Is even his grappling and his fighting for a long time and watch his grappling videos forever. And Jacare is one of my, the people that I have looked up to in the, the sport of jiu-jitsu for a long time. And, uh, but, um, I think, I think when Jacare can't get a takedown, he gets a little flustered. And I think Yoel Romero has, has, is going to be able to stuff those shots, obviously, and I think that UL is going to be able to catch him on their feet. I think uh, I'm going to say TKO UL Romero. Yeah, Yoel Romero is the scariest 40-year-old I've ever seen in my <laughs> life, man. And, yeah, I, I think that at this point in his career, he's unstoppable. I can only imagine what would have happened had he, you know, joined the UFC at age 20. I mean, the guy's just a freak yeah. of nature. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, another thing, though, on the other in the spring, he fought somebody uh, and got taken down a few times. Derek who Brunson. Who was that? Uh, Derek Brunson? Yeah. Is that who? 
I was gonna say Derek Brunson, but I didn't wanna. I didn't wanna say it and be like, that's not. He didn't fight him. Uh, yeah, yeah. They fought. Derek Brunson took him down. You know, a few times. If that happens against Jacare, he's gonna be in trouble. You know, so it's not like he's ever been taken down. But I do believe that this is a fight where he knows that the takedowns are coming, and you'll be prepared for it. And I think that he'll probably catch Jacare on the way in. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's going to be a great fight regardless of what happens. Now, one last yeah. one last sure, thing, yeah. man. So, you know, you're 14-1. and one, You're a contender in the featherweight division. Besides Kevin Souza, what's next for Chaz the Scrapper Skelly? Oh, you know, I want to fight a top 10 guy. I would like to, you know, maybe I could uh, beat Kevin Souza and then be Conor McGregor's rebound fight after Jose Aldo whoops his ass. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh... I also wanted to fight um, uh, Clay Guida, you know, which I, you know, I was, you know, respectfully calling him out. Both guys, you know, I, I you know, Conor McGregor is a great fighter. Um, Clay Guida is a great fighter. I just want to fight somebody in the top ten. So I want to beat this guy, and then I want to beat somebody in the top ten, or even Hacker Diaz. You know, he, you know, we were scheduled to fight, and I had to pull out. I, I had a, I got sick. I had a really bad staph infection. He got hospitalized, ended up having to pull out. And um, so, you know, that fight would be nice. I think, what is he, 12 maybe now or something? 12 or 13? So, you know, I mean, I would fight now. I'll fight, fuck, I'll fight anybody. But I'd really like to get somebody who's ranked ranked up there just so I can get my name in there, get my name in the mix. Yeah, Guida and Hakran Diaz, those would be such good showcase fights for you you know the way the styles match up and all that the point they're at in their career currently i know hakran diaz is climbing up those rankings but uh i think he's got some holes in his game that you can exploit no doubt about it you know i thought uh levan makishvili kind of i thought he won that fight man but it is what it I is too. you know controversial decisions are a part of the sport we got to accept that and obviously anyone versus conor mcgregor would be a good fight you're in that weight class Definitely would love to see that. So, you know, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on Half the Battle. And just go ahead, man. You know, plug anything you got coming up. Give any shout-outs you want to give. The floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to take up too much time, guys. Just uh, go ahead and follow me uh, at Chaz Skelly on Twitter. And then um, just thank you to my team, Team Takedown, all my coaches, you know. Uh, Mark Lehman, Stephen Wright, Tony Cabello, uh, Kenny Monday, Adrian Ramirez, all you guys, uh, you know, I couldn't do it without you guys. So November 7th, you guys need to be watching Sao Paulo, Brazil. I'll be fighting Kevin Souza. So tune in Fox Sports one for sure, man. Thank you very much, Chaz. And, you know, thank you to all the viewers and listeners of half the battle. I truly appreciate all you guys checking this out. And, you know, for those that aren't subscribed yet, go to soundcloud.com slash best fight picks, subscribe there, go to YouTube, Find that Best Fight Picks channel, subscribe there, and then obviously bestfightpicks.com. Type your email in that top right corner and get the Best Fight Picks and podcast delivered to your inbox every single fight week. Hope you guys enjoy the fights. Best of luck in training camp, Chaz, and you all have a great day.